Gerhardt's back. The more things change, the more they stay the same. From NJ1015.com, this is the new Jim Gerhardt Podcast. Here we are. Oh, well, here we are again. Once again, Jim uh, Gerhardt, Bob Williams, almost forgot. <laughs> but uh, the, I, I think one of the big things today, this is uh, Friday. Special Friday edition. Uh, special Friday. We're Facebook going into this, this uh, weather yeah. catastrophe, really. That is, I've never seen anything like this before, I believe, and I've been around, obviously, quite a long time, that it would get this hot, this sticky, this, what What do you call it? Feel like walk out of the house in the morning. It's like somebody took a pool table cover yeah. and dipped it in warm water and threw it all, yeah. wrapped me up in it. We usually have been going out, uh, take the dogs for a walk an hour every morning. Right. And uh, a couple of days earlier in the week, we tried it. And it just didn't work. I tell you, it takes an effect on your health. That and the the, aller- the allergens that they're yeah. like in the air. Yeah, Dan Zarrow uh, says this is the uh, hottest we've seen in New Jersey in seven years. Hasn't been 100 or above since 2012. Oh, that recently? Yeah, oh, seven, I thought he was seven say 18, years. 18, 12 yeah, or something. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, seven years. So, so. so one, I, I don't know how this is connected with that phenomenon, this heat wave. Oh, it's supposed to have a real feel today of 106 yeah, something like Saturday, that. Saturday, tomorrow, 112. Right. And uh, many events have been canceled or rescheduled, but one event that's still on as uh, we uh, join you this morning is the Haskell, the uh, the big horse race, the mm-hmm. big uh, prize race over at Monmouth tomorrow. That's still going on, and I'm a little bit surprised. Um, you know, maybe maybe well, that will change, but the, the Haskell is on for the now. The PETA people will uh, step into that and say mm. that this is somehow horse abuse. Hmm. Well, last week we got abused of, uh, uh, got accused of, 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 of beating a dead horse. So the animal rights people didn't like that. We had to explain that was an expression uh, about pushing grip. <laughs> right. You know, I think what I'm going to do with the grip, yeah. I, I think. Oh, you got uh, your grip hat can, today, yes. Yeah, but I'm going to take the G off. Yeah. And I think the RIP is probably appropriate. Uh, rest in peace. Right, right now. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, after, after that one fizzled after 26 years. So people apparently didn't want to get rid of incumbent politicians. So I'll have to work on something else now. Happy with the status quo, I guess. Okay, now you live uh, in the northern part of the state. I'm more or less in the, in the southern part. The lake pollution that's going mm. on. Lake Hapatcong, yeah. big one, first of all. And now it's... Uh, and Greenwood, Greenwood Lake, Lake, which is on the New York New Jersey is border, is this morning pretty much closed for yeah. any practical purposes. For the algae bloom, and apparently the bloom up at Greenwood Lake is even more severe than the one that uh, developed uh, last couple of weeks at Lake Abacom. Uh-huh. So they're urging people, the expression that they use, which I wrote down, was do not come in contact with the water. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking That's, obviously uh, swimming. You wonder, though, is, is, is that a harbinger of things to come? Because the water quality all over the country and, and the world mm. is getting to be pretty ridiculous. I had a friend who went to Belize, which is supposed to have pristine, pure water, right. you know, you see in the tourist pictures. And uh, he said it was uh, when they were there, the water was so polluted off this tropical paradise that they couldn't go in the water. But but anyway, with uh, Greenwood, they're talking about you can boat, yes. but don't don't come, come into in contact direct with contact, the water. No splashing or uh, well, you know, really absorbing. I mean, yeah, you may I, I, touch the water a little bit. But picture of people putting on hazmat suits and getting <laughs> in their boat. I don't know how. You, I don't know how you it, pull it that one off. It may be that extreme. And if you are fishing, they say uh-huh. don't keep the fish. 
with the fish back. So kind of weird. <laughs> well, the fish would probably be happy to be kept. Yeah. You but put it in your chest with clean water. But I, I can speak from knowing uh, Lake Apakong, a lot of businesses are affected. And yeah. that is the this is the, the peak season for tourism. And it's uh, New Jersey's largest lake. And it's just so sad that this is happening now. And uh, there was an article I read, uh, one of the local uh, tap into Roxbury um, guy fred on who used to write for the daily record pu published an article yesterday saying that the levels are improving but not uh in significant enough that they can lift any of the bands uh. on the swimming or anything at lake apacom now we've asked people ask you please uh, to comment uh, questions comments right you know just nice things or poke a stick in our cage whatever <laughs> turns you on this morning so let, let's see a few people who have um let's go down to antonio who says, don't you think it should say grap, get rid of all politicians? I did that last week yeah, a couple week weeks before. ago. Yeah. But I, I, I added something. I, I wanted to make it grasp, get rid of all sitting politicians. <laughs> so just, you know, to make it uh, the acronym even. Yeah. So, yeah, we're working on that. Thank you, Antonio. I appreciate that. Uh, Richard uh, Tavell. Hey, Richard. Uh, Richard says, I know that every senator has to take an oath of office to support and defend the Constitution. But I've never heard of any Constitution if they violate the oath. <laughs> well, that's not surprising, Richard, because yeah, the we Senate, don't put, politicians don't go into the penalty yeah, box. Yeah, these right. The politicians have put locks on the penalty box as far as they're concerned. <laughs> See, this is a great catch twenty-two. People come up with all of these ideas. We have to change that. We have to change that. Yes, they're great ideas, but in order to change them. The people who are causing the problem in the first place have to do the changing, and they're not about to. And so, uh, again, if you want to change rules for decorum in the hen house, <laughs> you can't unless the foxes agree to it. Right. And the foxes are quite happy with ruling the hen. So, yeah, there are so many good ideas. There's so many things out there. So many people have written, and I feel bad about this, great books. And you see sometimes on uh, television and right. the like, programs with wonderful ideas, but you can't do it because they all are locked up. Any change is locked up in the uh, the lawmaking process. And the lawmaking process is run by people whose main agenda is their own career. They're not going to change everything. Now, I think you've uh, coined the phrase careerism. Well, political po career, political careerism. Now, yeah, this is where we have to stop. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now, oh, oh, let me let me do something. Don't let me forget uh, term limits. You brought that okay, up before, okay, okay. and it sounds great. One way to stop political careerism is don't let the, you <laughs> no. know what, the do not let the elected officials hang out, but just so long. Yeah. Wh why do some offices well, have term limits and some don't? And so, well, there's right off the bat is what I had just talked about. In order to change that, it has to be legislatively changed. And that has to be done by the very people you're trying to get rid of. They don't want to get rid of it. They're going to hang on with all fours because this is their, this elected office is their key to the Treasury. But, uh, okay, let me get back to uh, Lou. Could you, could you clear that on, on the left there just a bit? Uh, well, okay, I think that's the same question, right? Yeah. Per, per, okay, pretty much the same question. Okay, term limits sounds great. You can't serve more than two years or you can't serve what, what uh, six years in the Senate, the Senate yes. uh, and the president no more than two terms. Now, in order to change that, they are talking about a con Well, first, you're not going to change it by going to the uh, Congress and saying, hey, how about limiting <laughs> your, your, yeah, good your, your trip on the gravy train here? Uh, so that doesn't work. So people talk about a constitutional amendment. 
Here is the problem. Don't let them do that. Going back a few years, and this would be in the Corzine administration, there was talk about a constitutional convention in uh, New Jersey, and the purpose of it was to discuss and perhaps change, deal with education funding. You remember that? Mm, yes. Well, the legislature passed all the laws, all the, all, everything that was necessary to set up the uh, constitutional convention, but then it, it fizzled out. Why did it fizzle? They never had it. Because people found out, uh, and the word got out, that once they do that, and these people, they will appoint their own delegates to this. And so once you open that up, you cannot limit it. As I understand it, you can't limit it to one issue. The whole Constitution is open. So you're not opening it just for that purpose not, of fixing a not, certain issue. Apparently they found out wow. they, couldn't, they couldn't do it just to fix one issue. It was wide open, and you know what's going to happen when you let these people tamper with the Constitution. Here comes Pandora's box, right? Well, yeah. at federally, it's the yeah. same way if you want to get into term limits. Don't do that, because the Constitution, at this point in our history with uh, the situation that prevails, the only friend you have, we have, is the Constitution. Right. And, of course, the left is doing everything they possibly can to try to get their toe in the door to change to that. to manipulate it for their To, to manipulate yeah. that. But be very careful with that. Uh, talk about a convention. I think there was a constitutional convention to deal with the, uh, the fifth article, I believe it was, which is terms and a lot right. of other things. But uh, hang on to that. Don't let that, <laughs> don't let that happen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's see. Anything? anything uh, Float your boat today. You're, um, you're, you're a transportation expert. Yeah, um, just uh, New Jersey Transit. They've had their uh, delays all summer um, because of the engineering availability. And it seems like we get more canceled trains on weekends, uh, coming out of weekends, Mondays or Fridays. And uh, if, if, you're, if you're an engineer, when are you going to take off during the summertime? You're going to make it a three-day weekend, right? So uh, well, we get a lot of canceled trains on Mondays. These people are making a couple hundred, hundred thousand grand a year. Yeah. Most of us would put up with a bit of inconvenience right. for that. And but I guess it's easy if you're in the right And, and it's, it's hard to understand as a commuter why a uh, an engineer would not work. If they don't have enough employees, why wouldn't you just uh, sop up that extra overtime? Well, that's And, they and do, do the yeah. extra shifts. But uh, apparently, the, a lot of these engineers well, are refusing to do it. And therefore, have, the trains don't run. They have a lot of trouble. Almost every day, you see something has happened with something's broken. Yeah. But I think my favorite one was, and I don't remember exactly what line it was on. They said that the uh, service had been canceled because the conductor had dropped the stick with the carrot on it and the mule was squatting down <laughs> on the track. So uh, they, they had a little bit of difficulty with that. Are you noticing more um, this time of year? Well, I know I know I am. I'm noticing that uh, a lot of out-of-state plates in New Jersey driving on the roads, mm -hmm. unfamiliar. And there could be some correlation of the several accidents we've had over the last couple of weeks. We've had some very, very serious accidents on some of these on the turnpike. A couple of interstates have been closed for some mm. wild truck accidents. And I'm, you know, there's no real proof yet, but I, I think that has something to do with the unfamiliarity of the drivers. I don't know. What popped into my head here was one time I was coming to work at the radio station. Which is, uh, you get off Route 295 to, yeah. to come down here on, the, on the, the local roads. And I was about to turn into a road that led to the station, right in a suburban area, very heavily populated. There was this huge truck sitting there. He was just sitting there in the intersection right. with his emergency lights flashing. 
And I got out of my car and went up to see what was happening, and the, the driver got out. Now, the driver spoke not one word of English. And he was, I, I, I assumed that what he wanted to know was, how do I get the hell out of here? <laughs> he made a wrong turn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's right in somebody's neighborhood, sitting huh. there in the cul-de-sac, yeah. you know, with a huge truck. And I tried to remember enough pidgin Spanish from high school <laughs> to, to tell him, uh, I, I mentioned 295, and I figured, dos, whatever it is, right. cinco, <laughs> and he, he nodded. Uh, but anyway, we managed to communicate. I tried to help him back around and get out of there. So there may be some credence to what you say, mm. because here was a driver who had probably driven for many, many hours, and he took a wrong turn, because sometimes these signs can be deceptive, especially on 295, where north is east and east is west. And and, then, and they changed and it around they, they again changed last it year. around again yeah. last year. Yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a possibility. I know in New Jersey, they give the driver's license uh, test in 21 different languages. Hmm. Uh, now, there are people driving. You'd be surprised to hear this, but there are people in this country illegally and who don't have the credentials or the training or the or the understanding of the language. Right. I know that's shocking for, <laughs> yeah. for you to hear something like that. <laughs> be still. So yeah. it, it's it's a possibility. Uh, I Last week, something I want to do, and, and it, it keeps gnawing at me. I want to do a piece here before the, the morning's over, Fair Play for Colonel Sanders. Okay, tell me more. Colonel Sanders, the Kentucky Fried Colonel Sanders, is presented now in commercials like the great horse's butt of the whole world. Let me see if I can do an imitation. Hey, this is Colonel Sanders. Oh, Come on over here. Don't Get do, your don't, five don't dollar Philip. People, that? people, that that, that's not quite as bad as the actors or supposed <laughs> actors who are doing it. Uh, Colonel Sanders was a man of amazing achievement. Now, if they want to sell the chicken, this is fine, but don't use him and try to do that because it is demeaning a person. Right. And I've got, I've got, well, anyway, you'll see when I get to, I happen to know him, uh, or at least at oh, one time. Harlan I, Sanders. I, yeah. I spent some time with Harlan Sanders when he was beginning, when he first brought his uh, product east. I was working at a radio station. I was in college down in Virginia, and he had come in to demonstrate this product to a local drive-in restaurant, not a chain. I think Lenny had three stores there, drive-ins at the time and they were interested in the product and selling the product so here comes the old man as he called himself in and he's got a white pickup truck ford pickup truck this would have been about 19 what 60 vintage or something mm -hmm. like that and in the back he's got these burlap sacks a bunch of burlap with his root his, his herbs and spices but anyway uh they did a lot of advertising on the radio station where i worked and our sales manager at the station worked kind of as the advertising agent for this chain, the, the Lenny's Restaurants. And so uh, I was invited over for the, uh, the demonstration. Oh, my God, could that old man cook? <laughs> that, that would, <laughs> if you had this, this product, this chicken, and he also made mashed potatoes and gravy. If you had this made by Colonel Harlan Sanders, that is the that was the lasting memory of the supreme culinary ecstasy of life, <laughs> and now you see what's happened to it. Yeah. But what they've done to him? Okay, that that's kind of a side yeah. thing. But I keep something so, keeps saying, "Do this, do this. Tell him about the old man. What a wonderful old man he I was." I presume he didn't have the white suit and the. Uh, oh yes, he did. And the bowline. Oh, absolutely. He, did. he wore it all the time. 
And he kept insisting over and over in his expression, I want my mug on all the advertising. <laughs> I want my mug on there. And he, oh, he dressed the And part. now they've made him a caricature of and himself. And he, he was the first person I ever ran into who was a, had a smoking phobia. We, we all smoked at the time. You know, everybody did in 1960 or whatever it was. And, uh, but you couldn't around him. He would get absolutely furious. <laughs> But anyway, he was a remarkable man, and uh, I remember him very fondly, and also I had great respect for him. But we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, on the political scene, probably nationally, this coming 2020 election may be the most important election in our history, because you have sides divided so uh, completely, mm -hmm. and the tide is tipping age-wise with the the voting public right and you have the older voters from uh well some i guess there are a few world war ii people around korean veterans like me you know there's some of us around still kicking around uh and then that was up when things changed and that you go through the uh uh, the boomer generation right. was pretty much allied with that. Right. And then you get in now to the current generation. What do they call it? The uh, millennials then the X and whatever it is, generations after that, who have been indoctrinated entirely differently, both in the home right. and in school. Mm -hmm. We were taught, for example, going back before that, that this is a wonderful country, a great country. We should have ultimate respect for it. And we had to because we saw all of our friends and our people dying for it. So you weren't going to question that. All of a sudden now, the entire culture has turned to an ideology that starts with a premise that it's a very wicked, evil country. And you've got generations now who are trained in that, or ideologically start with that. Uh, and so I think this is getting down into these two camps. I kind of picture it like the, uh, what, the, the biblical battle of Armageddon, the field of Megiddo, the good on one side, all the bad lined up on the other. Now, who's good and who's bad here? I don't know. You could flip a coin in many instances. But, but the, the lines are drawn. And this election may determine if there is enough energy and strength left in the traditional America no. to counter the new America. It's frightening. Like you say, we're at a tipping point. Because we're at a tipping the, point. Uh, the, the, the voters, mm -hmm. uh, the majority of voters are transitioning from the boomers to the the yeah, next generation. Exactly. So it's, you got to wonder what everyone, the younger people, mm -hmm. are thinking. Well, you, you got such a difference here. Uh, Arnold Toynbee, the great uh, British historian, had this history of challenge and response in the rise and fall of civilizations. And his theory was, which pretty sound, is that civilizations grow, they become great while they're responding to challenge. Mm -hmm. Once they have met the challenge, they start going downhill. They start sitting around gathering stuff <laughs> and being content and, and apathetic. And then eventually they will fall. Uh, now, again, going back, I guess, earlier, the uh, Depression. Well, well, this country, first of all, you had, you had the revolution. Uh, you had developing a whole new country. The challenge of that, the challenge of opening up the rest of the, opening up the West, which people argue about that. But anyway, that was there. Then you get the Industrial Revolution and uh, adapting to that. And then you go into the Great Depression, or World War I, a big war, the Great Depression, then you have World War II, then you get the Cold War, so there's always been a challenge. Suddenly, the challenge seems to be over, by and large. And so everybody in those generations had known that challenge, had been a part of that challenge, had felt it, uh, and had uh, sort of lived their lives and, and thought accordingly. 
after that, the end, which roughly is kind of like the end of the uh, uh, Vietnam War, in a sense, and the new generation coming in, the, the beginning of the millennials, it's entirely different because the only, the only challenge, the only fear that they've had is that the power will go out and they won't be able to text mm. or some you know, similar kind of a thing. There's no challenge has been demanded of them. Now, this is by and large, obviously not everybody, uh, because there are still a lot of, lot of people who are living by the old standards. Yeah. Uh, still young of, people. Still a lot of good people out there. Yeah, absolutely. Still a lot of good people out there. Speaking of military, I've got to do this. The John Bazalone Day in, yes. in, uh, in Raritan is coming mm -hmm. up. In mid-September. Uh, and this goes back. John Bazalone was uh, a, uh, a hero almost beyond compare in World War II. He was a young man from Raritan, Raritan New Jersey, who went into the Marines. And he went, uh, he was fighting in the Pacific. He, he got there. He, I believe it was Iwo Jima, the first battler. He got in, he, uh, he won the Congressional Medal of Honor and a couple other honors. No other enlisted man had ever done that. Mm. And this was millions of, of military people. He, he stood out that much. So he was brought home by the, uh, the military and he was used by uh, the government to promote war bond sales, which they had at that time. So he went around and toured like the rock stars do day. He was, I guess, a star in his day. However, he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to go back and be back with his men, his people. And so he went back. And then I believe it was Guadalcanal. Now, please forgive me if I get these, these, these islands wrong. But he eventually went back. And the upshot of it was that he, did, he was killed in that. But he would have gotten posthumously the Medal of Honor again. And he did things that nobody's ever done before. And he was a New Jersey person. And uh, second generation Italian. And in Raritan, they celebrate every year the John Bazalone Day. And so in honor of John Bazalone, this morning, as you can see, yeah. I am uh, I am Natalie attired in a Marine shirt. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. I was never in the Marines. My son is. Hmm. And so I'm, I can legitimately wear this Marine uh, clothing. You drive through Raritan, Somerset Street, you see the uh, big Bazalone statue. Yeah, and yeah. You know, what, 75 years later, and they're still honoring the man. I wonder, I wonder if this year, and God forbid this happened, we don't get some of the loony left protesting that, that here is a hero uh, who was a hero under the flag of a nation that some of these loonies out on the left considered to be a very bad thing, a terrible thing, a fascist country as the fascist, anti-fascist said in Portland when they beat up the old man with a flag on his head. But I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't want to mess with the, the people of Raritan. They are very, very proud. And they should be so proud. They Basel. should be proud. You know, an interesting thing, and uh, Steve Trevelis, who, you know, the station tonight, he wrote a piece, really an interesting piece about that. And how he approached it was he was talking about Basilone and his own family, his own parents or grandparents, Basilones. And Basilone comes from a generation... Uh, when they came to this country, as uh, and I'll try to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase Steve, that they were not given uh, public assistance, they were not given a free education, they were not given free medical care, they were not given, well, I guess in New Jersey lately, the in-state tuition thing, which is a small matter. None of that. He said, at best, if they were lucky, they were given a shovel hmm. and told, go make something out of this. And they did. Right. And they did. Uh, so... Uh, there, the um, in New Jersey, there is a very strong Italian American population, 
And one time we were talking about that. They seem to be as a group, and you can't make hard boundary lines around these ethnic groups. They seem to be much more patriotic, if I can use that now without having a demonstration outside. You're jingoist, you're jingoist. Uh, you don't believe in open borders? No, I don't. But uh, <laughs> I never made a secret about that. But uh, the reason it was given, and I asked about that on the air one day, why do you see more like Italian-American families flying flags and being involved in patriotic organizations? And they said it is simply because this means more to us. This would go for any of the immigrant waves around the turn of the last century, Polish-Americans, uh, you know, any, even Asian-Americans. Right. It would go for them, too. But they because do. They, all they recognize what they got when they came to this country. And they respected it. And, and they, they respected followed, it. And they and followed they, the due process yes, to enter this country. Absolutely. And it made the country the greatest country there ever there was, the greatest amount of freedom, yeah. the greatest affluence. The infrastructure was built on the on the backs and the sweat mm -hmm. of all the immigrants that came in. Absolutely. And they did it. And uh, here we are. And, they built, and now it's in the process of being torn down by people who never had to face anything like that. And I don't know what would be the biggest challenge a millennial will face is, <laughs> is, is, is what is the quickest route to being a rock star are getting rich. I, I'm told that they have surveys in college. What do you want to be when you get out? What is your ambition? Well, it's to get rich or be a rock star. Very few people say, I want to be a humanitarian. I want to save people. <laughs> so uh, anyways, I, I did want to mention the, uh, the Barcelona. The day comes up in September. Yes. But there was a story uh, which prompts us to talk about this. It was a story that a town in Italy has named a street after John Bazalone, the American hero. We have no street here. So uh, I, I don't know why not. They, they named, you know, there's an interesting thought right there. The left wants to change the name. This is the loony left. I'm not talking about liberals. I, I just separate that. Uh, those who are hanging way out there trying to, to uh, would, uh, the destabilize the, the country. The left of left. The left of left. Uh, they are talking about changing place names of anything that uh, a name of anyone whose life occurred, no matter what, uh, at a time when there was slavery. So all these names will have to be changed, even later, you know, when, they, when they figured, okay, there was oppression going on, therefore take these names down, all the presidents, all the people. Uh, and in the process, this is to a certain extent being done, where they can get away with this, change school names and like, and their names of places. And I just wondered, if the pendulum were to swing back the other way, uh, you might see the name of Basilone Street mm. or uh, you know, some, of the, some of the great heroes. I don't know where it's going right now. I wish I did. I sit and ponder that a lot, sitting on the veranda of Stately Gearhart Manor. I'll tell you. Sipping a julep. And it's a great day to do <laughs> that. Trying to forget it all. I'll tell you, I, um, and on this line, you, you want to feel good about this country and, and be thankful for what you have and when you think you're having a bad day, go watch the movie Grapes of Wrath. Oh, yeah. Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. That happened to be running uh, the other night on the classic movie channel. Oh, really? And Henry Fonda. I've seen that a few times, and you really want a dose of reality and just a real good check. You just look at what those people had to do back in the 30s, yeah. where their land was taken by the government. 
and they had they had nothing. Uh, and it was taken. It was taken by the, the weather too. Yeah, the, the, the great because dust, of the dust bowl and all that. But, there have been some excellent uh, documentaries on but, that. And pe- but people see what this former gener- what these generations went through, yeah. and consequently what this country meant to them. Yes. And now you get people who come. See, the, the great wave of immigrants were escaping something. Mm-hmm. Now some immigrants now are also. But many, I don't know how many, what the percentage would be, but a lot of them aren't. They're coming here for the bucks, or they're coming here because, you know, easy pickings, or they're coming here to hide out until the the revolution, whatever they're coming for. But people who came here in that great wave of immigration and traditionally was to escape something and coming to something better, and they do appreciate that because they found it. Now... uh, there you is walk, no challenge. You walk across the border. You you come into the country, and the first thing you do is start trying to change it to be like the country you say you're escaping from, yeah. uh, and make it like that. So every the, the so-called what is the politics of identity? Yeah. We want to make it like that. So it, it's a it's a highly complex thing. And as I said, it uh, sometimes feel bad. There there are so many authors uh, in New Jersey. We have a Steve Malanga who writes for the Jersey Journal, which I think is part of the Star-Ledger complex. Brilliant uh, analyses of these things that are going on. So uh, they don't seem to be going anywhere. That's what I was talking about beating the dead horse. Uh, So I'm going to stop beating the dead horse. And uh, yeah, in answer to the person, uh, who is that? uh, Oh, I'm looking at names. Yeah, I got carried away and I wasn't looking at the screen. (laughs) So perfectly understandable. Uh, the uh, you see, try to explain what we're doing. If we weren't doing this, we would be sitting on a park bench, right. <laughs> complaining about the government, right? You with a bunch of old people and a couple of mint juleps. Uh, well, this would be nice too. <laughs> but I can see us sitting around in what, what is it? Green leisure suits with white belts <laughs> and, and white shoes. You know that bit. And maybe a, a little uh, a shoestring tie. And we, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so this this is this is the what the YouTube version of that. Uh, but again, the conversations, and we'd like to know what interests you. Uh, so many things, really. I think you had to. Kinda, you had told me this morning you wanted to talk about who was your favorite and most respected New Jersey governor. Yeah, I don't know if we have time to get into that, but I thought that would be interesting to do at some point. In New Jersey, the governor is always the center of a lot of attention. He is probably the central point of everything that goes on in the state. Kind of like the mayor in a city. He's always, every time, every day, there's something around that because of the way the demographics and the geography, the way the state's made up. And so people are very aware of governors, except except young people, for some reason, in college, in, in the surveys, they find out that most of them, uh, I think 50% at Ryder University, seniors had no idea who the governor, who the governor was. Who the governor is, yeah. Yeah. Well, worse than that, going a couple of years ago, they, they had a survey at Vanderbilt University, which is a great university. It's in Tennessee, right. Chattanooga, I think. And they asked simple things of graduate students, like, here's a map. I point out, where is New York City? <laughs> and they couldn't find it. <laughs> Ever since GPSs and Google yeah, well, Maps, uh, people don't know north, know, south, east, or west. Well, anyway, so, uh, yeah, uh, but things that you would like to talk about, we... Uh, so, but the governors, yeah, I think we all have, how many governors? I counted back eight 
wasn't starting back with Florida. I never knew Governor Since, since the station came. went on the air in uh, nineteen. The station the station's gonna have its thirtieth birthday March first next year. Twenty twenty. That's a long time. It sure is. Very few radio stations in history have had programming that lasted that long. Now the phenomenon about New Jersey one oh one point five is that it got better every year. Right. It got bigger every year. And, and the radio station's been nominated once again for the Marconi Award for oh, really? the News Talk Station of the Year. Absolutely. Well, it certainly has been the News Talk Station of the Year. I mentioned this before. We had Walter Sabo, one of the leading consultants in the business, who was consulting us. And he did a lot of talk radio stations and other things. Matter of fact, Walter was the, I don't know if I should say this, he's the author of Shark Week. Oh. He, he did promotion for the Discovery <laughs> Channel. He consulted with <laughs> that, came up with that. But he said that this radio station, all in all, has the most intelligent audience of any of uh, the Absolutely. talk radio stations in the country that he worked with. And th this certainly has been a big, big help. Yeah. But I tell you what, let's defer the governor thing because Until that's uh, okay, like a sure. little game we can play. I have my favorites that I've talked about before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You certainly do. Yeah. Okay. I've known every governor from Florio up to this current governor I've, I've never met. And uh, no doubt probably won't. So... Uh, I, last week I got off. There's so many things to talk about. Uh, someday we'll get an all-night show. <laughs> we can sit here, <laughs> and nobody's out there but a few truck drivers. <laughs> and uh, but uh, I wanted to get. I just want to mention this, and I can't get into it. But please, just just understand what I'm trying to say. I had, uh, we had had last week some stories of uh, tragedies involving dogs, pit bulls. And I had mentioned that I had very tragically, and I feel terrible about this, had to find another home for my much-beloved pit bull, Holly, who was the sweetest dog I ever had, who all of a sudden, at about six years of age, nobody knows why, can figure this out, suddenly decided that she wanted to kill dogs. Right. And just went after a, our Doberman uh, mother, uh, Holly, or uh, Mia, who... We don't know what started it, but once she did, and once blood was drawn, it, it was like Holly could not back off every opportunity she had. And it was scary because mm -hmm. we have kids in the neighborhood, and, and I just I couldn't live with it. But my, and I'd mentioned this last week and talked about that, but one thing that led to that, I w I'm going to propose, won't get anywhere with it, of course, I'm, I would like to propose that dog owners have to undergo some kind of training before you can have a dog, especially a, a large dog, that they have to undergo training and be licensed just like the dogs are. Mm, that's, that's interesting. And the reason is, and this is not because of anybody's ill will, because I'm the most guilty person in the world, and I feel terrible sometimes. I really feel that I had treated dogs not badly. I, if people came by and looked, they said, this is the best treated dog in the world. I'd get an award from PETA. They were housed, they were treated, they were cared for. But I was missing the whole point of what a dog needs. And I think this causes a lot of the trouble. People get a dog, and a dog is a thing. It's not a sentient personality. Yes. I mean, it is to some people, but essentially it's a thing. And you get the dog, and you don't think anymore about that. And I was thinking of my uh, Akita I got one time, and uh, Pookie, because Pookie looked like Soupy Sales, remember the hand puppet Pookie, <laughs> <laughs> who stuck her head up behind the door <laughs> and, and got a pie in the face? Yeah. Well, anyway, this was a sweet, sweet dog. I got her, uh, adopted her, and uh, it's a young dog. 
But one problem was, and Akitas get to be big dogs, and I had two Rottweilers at the time as well, but I'd never thought about this, but Pookie would, when she got excited, would pee. Mm -hmm. And in the house, and I had new carpeting in the house. And so after a while of running out, of, I keep running to the store to buy white vinegar and nature's miracle you know, that, and scrubbing, I, I said, oh, well, this is simple. I'll just have Pookie live outside. Well, now that I should not have done. Uh, what the alternative was, I, I'm not sure right now. Uh, now, Pookie, when she was living outdoors, became an escape artist. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, Pookie's fine, she, but she can't escape. So I had to put her on a long chain. So she had a lot of room to move, but nevertheless was on that. But what I was missing was, and here was a very happy dog. Dogs are made to be pack animals. They like the pack. Your family will be the pack if that's it, if you play it that way. But if you do not let the dog become a part of the pack, except on some occasions... It's very sad for the dog, and, and I feel terribly about doing that. The upshot of it was that one night on a chain, uh, it was a thunderstorm, and everybody in the house was comfy. And I said, well, Pookie's fine. we got this nice house for her. She's got food. She, your house is insulated, you know, and everything. But it turned out that Pookie was trying desperately to get either in the house or out or somewhere, and she chimed, I don't know how, a stockade fence. Oh, jumped down on the other side, uh, you know, choked by the collar. And that was the end. I think I, I have nightmares. Well, not nightmares because I'm, a, I'm awake, but uh, daymares, yeah. feeling very bad about that. But I think, and that's just one aspect, that uh, the dog has its own genetics, its own instincts. And it's not like something you just get and say, hey, this is such a nice dog. I'll go out and pat it every now and again. And I'm not a talk I'm talking about good people. Right. I thought this should be the happiest dog in the world. Turned out that it wasn't quite that way. So maybe some education would be good. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, but uh, even in this weather, you're going to make sure that uh, your dog's got enough yeah. water, your cats. Uh, this is dangerous stuff for animals, too. Our dogs are smarter than we are. We usually take the dogs for a walk. The custom has been we have the three dogs. We have the mother, Dobie, and we have uh, uh, Gibson and Manfred, the, uh, the youngs. And we every morning about 7 o'clock, we'd hit the road and take an hour walk with the dogs. Up until, I think it was the day before yesterday, yesterday. So we get out there. After about a half hour, man, everybody's choking and come back and the dogs are dragging. Mm. And the weather, this bad weather, this weather the way it's been, uh, even the dogs now, we don't yeah. walk them. We can't these days yeah. for our own health reason. But the dogs, when they're put out for exercise, these dogs are used to running. They're not very happy in a yard or in a house. They won't exert themselves beyond a point. They're very, very smart. They will end up getting under a tree and just standing there. Yeah. Or else you look out the door and here's one that's decided he's going to raise his leg and do something on a <laughs> chaise long. And I'll be like, okay, no, no, get, get him back in here. Well, thankfully, I don't have that problem with the bulldog. Mm. He walks like about maybe 15 feet outside a hot day. He turns around and comes right back. Yeah. And we throw a couple of ice cubes at him. This dog well, loves idea. ice cubes. Yeah. I mean, and apparently it's good for their teeth, and the dog loves it. It's very refreshing and stuff. I didn't get around to Colonel Sanders because it would take a while. But I tell you, please, uh, for me, <laughs> when you see these commercials for that product, and I'm not criticizing the product, although, as I said, if you ever had this product cooked by Colonel Sanders, ooh, it was beautiful. <laughs> but... Uh, 
we'll have to do that on another sure. time because it would take some time. Yeah. Uh, one thing, I got to have my my my, my uh, loony left uh, story of the week. Now this will lead to something else, so I have to be very careful. See what happens is after you've done this enough, anything that comes up, you say anything with New Jersey attached to it, you get. 16 memories. It's, it's like in the old days, they had these the computer four. It's, it's like an assembly line with, with index cards on it. Remember that? Yes. And you'd hit it, and, go, and ones that were relative would drop down. And Well, I'd have a whole basket full mm-hmm. just from one thing in New Jersey. And it's not a New Jersey story, but this stuff does go on here in England. Now, if you want to find some consolation uh, and uh, the world of political correctness, for those of it who hate it as much as I do, you can be consoled by the fact that in England, it apparently is getting worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is a story from England. You see these things. A doctor, a physician. Now, they have socialized medicine or what do they call it now? The one plan or whatever they call it in this right. country that the, that the, uh, the left is pushing. Uh, ultimately, we will have once we get to that point. Right. One payer system. One payer system, whatever it is. Uh, where they have that, and the doctors, I, I would think that you should be well, delighted if a person decides to become a doctor, because it's unlikely they're going to get rich as they can possibly do if they play their cards right here. And as another aside, I've noticed one of the hugest scams going in the world is the medical profession in this country. And there's got to be, like, for example, Medicare and insurance abuse beyond everybody's belief. Well, and I got some good stories about that. I forgot to mention those. Where was I now? We were getting back. Oh, in England. Here's a doctor who was denied a job, fired, couldn't get a job because the government apparently has to approve this, because he would not call a patient who was six feet two and had a long beard. He would not refer to her or him or it as madam. Hmm. So the doctor refused to refer to this patient as madam and gets fired. Well, if somebody walks in looking like the prototypical mountain man of Western lore. You're not going to say, hey, (laughs) you think you're insulting the person. But anyway, this is where it's gotten this great illusion that there's no difference between people, which is the most absurd thing anybody ever came up with. But remember, all these are delusions. Nothing is graven in stone or anything ideologically because we're all riding a rock through space. Nobody knows where the rock came from, where it's going, or what the point is. So all we know, all we know for damn sure is that in the universe there is energy, there's vibrations, and frequency. And all forms are depend on the frequency of the vibrations. Mm-hmm. Now what does that mean? I don't know, but that seems to be the, the only thing that we know. <laughs> Ludwig Wittgenstein, and of course you're aware of Ludwig Wittgenstein who wrote the very famous Tractatus Logicus Philosophicus, which, well, anyway. Uh, anybody? <laughs> no, anybody? A, a little, uh, Wittgenstein was considered to be the ultimate philosopher of the last century. I wouldn't expect people to know that particularly. But while sitting on the veranda with my julep, I have little to do but think about things like this. I'm reading his biography now. He said famously at the beginning of his history-making book, And the end of it, he had the same line. And he said, whereof one cannot speak, thereof one should remain silent. Mm -hmm. Which means if you don't know what you're talking about, 
sit down and shut up. <laughs> but we wouldn't be here. <laughs> right, that's true. See, we, that, that, would elimin- that would eliminate us. Hey, before we go, I want to ask you, uh, yeah. uh, space. 50 years for the, uh, the first oh, man on the moon. anniversary of the man on the moon. Where were you? What were you doing when... The, the the liftoff of Apollo 11, and where were you when the when the I when see, they landed on see, the moon? I wasn't watching OJ's slow speed race. No, you you said you remember that. I want to know exactly where I was and what I was doing. It would take a while. I was I was working in New York, lived in Connecticut, and uh, I was up at that hour. I think it was very early in the morning when the when the landing was broadcast. I remember seeing it, sitting there with a bottle of uh, Hennessy's cognac, mm-hmm. and having a sip. The reason I had the Hennessy's cognac. Earlier that evening, the house across the street had caught fire, and we'd been busy trying to get the people out <laughs> and the like. So I was I was in the uh, den in my house after the fire was out and everything with some of the firemen and rescue people and watching the television because everybody wanted to see that. So I remember that one quite well. How about you? I was five years, five and a half years old, and I just remember just watching it on TV. My mother probably put me in front of the TV and just watched it. And I just remember the first steps on the moon. That's that's all I remember. My earliest recollection of any television had to be RFK's funeral in 68. So I was probably about five and a half when the, mm. when the moon landing happened. It, it was into, We were kind of into that because my, uh, my wife at the time, bless her, is not with us, uh, had a first cousin who was an astronaut, Pete Conrad, who was on the moon twice, I think, and was involved in the program. So we, you know, felt we had kind of a, a, a closeness to it. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Now that anniversary is when, or was it? Uh, it's uh, happening this week. The this the, week. Uh, the the uh, Apollo Eleven took off on the sixteenth, and it it landed on the moon tomorrow. Okay. Uh, well, listen. Thanks, everybody. Uh, again, we'll uh, see if we can give this another yeah. shot. If you have notions, ideas, things that we could bring up because we're asking you to participate in this. It's kind of like call-in talk radio show. We're trying to be with people what typing in. Right. And it's uh, somewhat experimental, so we'll see if we can get it off the ground. Jim Gerhardt, Bob Williams, and you. Thanks. Gerhardt's back. The more things change, the more they stay the same. From NJ1015.com, this is the new Jim Gerhardt Podcast.